This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Lonnie's Discount Muffler and Rib Shack here in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Check out our Patreon, too, while you're at it. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel, five bucks a month. You can help support our little news co-op here in Pistown. Get access to all the bonus content and get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. We're going to read some poetry a little later on in today's show. It's Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. Here's the news. We've got impeachment articles, folks. House Democrats moved forward with actions to remove President Trump from the White House by introducing two impeachment charges against him, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Now, the articles are solely focused on the Ukraine affair, during which President Trump tried to seek the help of a foreign government heading into the 2020 election by dangling security assistance in exchange for Kiev opening up a probe into Trump's potential political opponent, Joe Biden. The obstruction article relates to the administration's efforts to stonewall the congressional investigation into the matter. An impeachment vote is likely to occur in the full House within the next two weeks before the December recess, which would then set up a Senate trial for early next year. Assuming the House passes impeachment, it would be only the third time in U.S. history that such actions have been taken against a president. Perhaps what's most telling about the articles of impeachment laid out by Democrats is what's not in them. Nothing related to the president's caging of kids, manufacturing a military crisis at the border prior to the midterm elections, whipping up white nationalism, routinely engaging in anti-Semitism and racism, involved in rank corruption, from bank fraud to campaign finance violations, persistent violations of the Constitution's emoluments clause, obstruction of justice, running the government completely ineptly. I mean, I could go on and on and on, and so could Democrats, but... They're settling on just these two articles dealing with, sure, a serious and impeachable offense, but still one of the least troubling things this White House has done so far. And of course, Democrats wouldn't be Democrats if at the same time as trying to impeach Donald Trump, they were also doing him favors. I've ranted on this show many times about the absurdity of Nancy Pelosi trying to both impeach the president and deliver him a signature legislative accomplishment by passing the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. Well, she's doing it, folks. And in an optical whiplash, Pelosi actually convened two separate press conferences, one right after the other this morning. The first one to announce the articles of impeachment against Trump And then right after that, to announce plans to pass Trump's trade deal. If I ever have to explain to young children one day the ineptitude of Nancy Pelosi and just how woefully, woefully morally deficient she was as a leader, I think I'm going to think of this, the the two press conferences in one hour. This This was just like... You've been ranting about this for months, and you could not have come up with this yourself. No, I I wouldn't have expected two press conferences back-to-back. At least put a day between them or (laughs) something like that. Jesus. Well, the absurdity of it wasn't lost on reporters who asked her about this. Here is how Pelosi responded. 
There are some people who said, why make it look like he has a victory? Well, we've, we've, we're declaring victory for the American worker in what <laughs> is in this agreement. But we would never, not any one of us is important enough for us to hold up a trade agreement that is important for American workers uh, because of uh, any uh, collateral benefit that might accrue to any one of us. It's not a victory for no. Trump because we're just simply declaring it a victory for American workers. Even though we are also making zero effort to push the legislation that they want most, the uh, Protecting the Right to Organize Act. And we could be pushing it now and possibly using it as leverage in this very bill that you are pushing, this trade bill, which you claim helps workers, but very plainly doesn't. It has no enforcement mechanisms. Yeah, yeah. Uh the AFL-CIO did uh, endorse the trade agreement. It is likely to sail through the House, but Pelosi talking about delivering a victory to workers, as Sam Knight just mentioned, why not pass the PRO Act? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm too hard on the, uh, on, on the enforcement mechanisms, but also maybe they should have fucking passed the PRO Act or at least tried to. Anyway, the top stock market regulator testified today before the Senate Banking Committee SEC Chair Jay Clayton was asked to defend a proposal that would limit the ability of shareholders to put forth corporate governance rule changes. Here was Clayton offering his defense in an exchange with top committee Democrat Sherrod Brown. If you were, if you were able to garner more than one in four shareholders um, in favor of your proposal, the proposal would be able to stay on the proxy. Right now it's one in well, ten. <laughs> You say that, that sounds good, but Commissioner Jackson's office studied data from over for a decade and a half, from 2004 to 2018. They found that he found the proposed rules would have excluded 35% of the proposals for an independent board chair, 50% of board diversity proposals, and 40% of political spending disclosure proposals. So 40% of political uh, spending disclosure proposals would have probably been ruled out under this new rule that Jay Clayton. Uh, is proposing who is asking for this well <laughs> I, mean, I, I know who's asking for this we, we but. Know, we'll get into that later but we at the district sentinel do not care one bit about shareholder rights let's make that perfectly clear again but this move from clayton is about preserving the ability of the rich to operate in smoke-filled rooms i guess they're actually vape filled now uh but whatever the point of this is clear let corporations do what they want in the dark uh, and no one or try to minimize the people that can expose them. Later, Clayton was grilled about another aspect of his shareholder proposal. We talked about it before on the show, how Bloomberg revealed that there were fake public comments submitted in favor of Clayton's shareholder initiative from a PR firm called 60 Plus, which falsely assumed the identity of regular people like a retired teacher and a cop. Ah, uh, yes, that's who is pushing this. Yes. Sock puppets. <laughs> Clayton himself cited this fraudulent commentary in public hearings about his proposal when he said he was convinced that he was correct because of praise from, quote, mainstream investors. Here was Clayton being asked about this by Minnesota Dem Tina Smith. Given that you cited these letters, does this have any effect uh, on your thinking about whether this is a good idea? Well, um, a couple of things. One is uh, we're having an investigation done of this issue. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to leave the specifics of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I am very interested 
in hearing directly from individual investors. I think he is very well, interested in he hearing from yet, them. He hasn't though. <laughs> in fact, he is so interested in hearing from them that he allowed himself to get fucking worked, just completely humiliated by PR grifters. Here is Maryland Democrat Chris Van Hollen grilling Clayton. This clip is a little long, but it perfectly exemplifies just how underhanded corporate lobbyists are. There were a number of letters you cited that were clearly orchestrated by a group called 60 Plus. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of us who've been around here for a little while, we know what 60 Plus is. It's a, it's a dark money front group that corporations use for messaging. They don't have to disclose their donors. Uh, it sounds great. They make it sound like they're taking care of seniors. But we have found out some of their donors include corporations like Chevron and Exxon. And so it turns out that a number of the letters you cited were from relatives of the head of 60 plus. Are you, are you aware of that now? Um, I've, I've now heard this. I've, I've, I was not familiar with the group okay. 60 plus. Okay. So uh, were you aware that the retired couple you cited are the mother and father-in-law of the head of the 60 plus association? Are you aware of that now? Um, only because you just told me. <laughs> are you are you aware they told the reporter they had no connection themselves with the letter? Uh, no. Uh, are you aware that the military veterans uh, that you cited are the brother and cousin of the chairman of the 60 plus association? If you, Mr. If chairman, you, look, if, if you say if, so. if a company had done this, mm -hmm. uh, we could go after them for deceptive practices for misleading statements. I know you didn't intend to do that, but you became the vehicle for that. Mm -hmm. And you became the vehicle for that as you tried to roll out this provision with the patina that it was looking out for Main Street investors. Mm -hmm. in that, wasn't that your intent? Uh, regardless of this colloquy, yeah. I still believe we're looking out for Main Street investors. <laughs> okay, Jay, let us know when you find one. One more thing from this hearing, SEC Chair Clayton got questions about a subject very dear to the heart of this show, WeWork. Hell yeah. Unfortunately, the questions came from cake-eating psycho Arkansas Republican Tom Cotton. Mm, monkey paw curls. Even more troublingly, maybe Cotton is actually listening to our show uh, because, well, uh, take a listen to this. A lot of us often lament polls that show younger Americans have doubts about capitalism and are open to socialism. For good reason, given the brutality and poverty that socialism inflicts on its people. But people like Adam Newman and what he did to WeWork is the reason people in America are open to socialism. Now, uh, setting aside Tom Cotton's hackish aside about socialism leading to poverty and whatever and uh, ignoring the fact that U.S.-backed reactionary forces just overthrew Evo Morales after uh, spreading unprecedented prosperity among uh, working-class Bolivian people. This, this just doesn't make any sense because just beforehand, Cotton was grilling Clayton about investigating WeWork. Clayton said he doesn't comment on specific investigations. Cotton then replied by asking him to comment on hypothetical situations that mirrored the WeWork story. The SEC chair replied by saying that the practices are fine as long as they are disclosed to investors. This is because WeWork is capitalism. Adam Newman is the perfect boy for capitalism. Cotton knows this. He's well aware of this. And uh, 
He knows that Newman is more norm than exception. He's terrified, which is maybe why he has to lie about socialism uh, spreading misery and poverty uh, all over everywhere when obviously we don't need to go into that now, but that's obviously total bullshit. Thanks for listening to the show, though, Tom. We see you. Finally, the Federal Trade Commission has scored the largest ever settlement against a for-profit college, and I'm using air quotes around the word college here. The agency broke the news on Monday, detailing a record $191 million settlement against the University of Phoenix and its parent company, Apollo Education Group. You might have seen tons of commercials for the University of Phoenix. They're constantly advertising. The company is alleged to have engaged in deceptive advertising, though, to lure students to enroll under the false promises of job placement. University of Phoenix falsely claimed it had partnerships with a number of top employers to assist in job placement. Companies such as AT&T, Yahoo, Microsoft, Twitter, and the American Red Cross were all touted as working with the university to find students employment, but it was all completely made up. No such associations existed. The university also claimed in promotional materials that these companies helped design the courses. That was also not true. The FTC complaint notes that the University of Phoenix specifically targeted Hispanics and active duty service members, veterans, and military spouses in their marketing. A lot of that marketing paid off as the FTC noted that the university has actually received the most post-9-11 GI Bill benefits of any other school. Mm. It's fucking grifter school here. In other words, University of Phoenix saw a giant pull of money and people desperate to find a career and thought, let's exploit this. Of course, no executives will go to jail for this. Instead, the company will fork over some hefty fines and forgive a bunch of student loans. Under the guidelines of the settlement, University of Phoenix agrees to pay $50 million to the FTC and to cancel roughly $141 million owed to the school by former students. In addition, the company agreed to not engage in further deceptive business practices. Also, University of Phoenix is required to ask consumer reporting agencies to delete the debts from people's credit reports and give notice to those who got debt cancellation and make sure people have access to their diplomas and transcripts. The commission approved the settlement in a 4-0 to zero vote with one commission member abstaining. I look at this story and I think this is a start. This is a start to taking down some of these for-profit scam schools. All right, that is the end of the newscast today. Another reminder, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel to get your own haiku. I'm going to read a few right now. This is for Eric. Senator Cotton would personally do war crimes for a single cake. I think he would. He's a cake boy. And he loves doing war crimes. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Lastly, this is for Mark. Capitalism, with or without rules, is theft. Try socialism. Thank you, Mark. Yes, thank you, Mark. And thank you to all the new subscribers. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We will play it on air. We are back tomorrow. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.